Long-term longitudinal studies in healthcare, those that follow individual subjects for years or even decades, can yield insights about sickness, treatment, and behavior that simply can't be gleaned any other way. But the problem with a 10-year study is that it takes 10 years to complete. Or does it? Hello and welcome to DataPoint, the podcast where we explore all the ways that data and analytics are driving innovation in healthcare today. I'm your host, Greg Matthews, and our guest today is Leland Ekstrom, the co-founder and chief operating officer of Nashville Biosciences. NashBio is a wholly owned subsidiary of the Vanderbilt University Medical Center that was founded to leverage a powerful asset, Vanderbilt's BioView database. It's made up of the de-identified medical records of nearly 3 million patients, hundreds of thousands of whom have also submitted DNA data. The combination of that genotypic and phenotypic data is incredibly powerful. Get ready to take a look at some of the applications through the eyes of its co-founder, Leland Ekstrom. Leland, thanks so much for being with us on DataPoint today. Greg, it's great to be here. So you and I had an opportunity to meet a couple of years ago uh, at the J.P. Morgan conference in uh, San Francisco. This was this would have been 2017. You were working on Nashville Biosciences at that time. That was my first exposure to the company. But the company didn't actually launch officially until 2018. Um, I'm eager to talk to you about some of the process that went into that pre-launch period and launch period. But before we dive into you know the reality of Nash Bio and the genesis of Nash Bio, I always like to give our listeners a little bit of context and background for the person that I'm talking with. And so I'd I'd love it if you would be, if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit of your personal history and you know some of the things that ultimately pointed you to the direction of founding this rather unique uh, this unique entity. Sure, happy to do that. I, I was trained as an engineer, uh, and then in grad school did a PhD in uh, in biomedical engineering. Uh, so I was a visual neuroscientist uh, applying fMRI uh, techniques to the study of the brain. So I've been interested in kind of the intersection of of, of healthcare and technology for for a long period of time. Uh, as I got to the end of that uh, that period of my life, I had concluded that uh, bench research was probably not where I would have the have the most impact and. I uh, jumped over to the cons- uh, management consulting firm McKinsey & Company. So I spent uh, uh, about seven years with McKinsey & Company uh, working in the pharmaceutical uh, practice at the at the firm. I uh, started with a broad range of, uh, of activities kind of across uh, commercial and uh, other growth strategy areas. But uh, towards the back half of my, uh, my time as a consultant, I uh, got really interested in innovation topics, uh, things like uh, R&D productivity within the, the pharmaceutical space, and then also mm. genomics and personalized medicine. And I uh, really spent the last three years of uh, my time as a consultant uh, heavily focused on the use of uh, some of these, uh, these emerging technologies and how they can improve things like uh, drug discovery and, uh, and development productivity. Uh, it was during that time I became aware of uh, of some of the resources that were being uh, being compiled by uh, by different entities like uh, Vanderbilt University Medical Center. Uh, they had spent a long time uh, building up a giant resource of, uh, of uh, uh, genetic information and phenotypic information, and had set it up in a way to really facilitate a, a, a powerful uh, research enterprise. And so I was. Uh, I found myself uh, talking to a number of my clients in the in the in the pharma space about uh, about resources such as uh, things like 
uh, at Vanderbilt uh, at the BioView database in particular is the, the resource I'm referring to. And so mm -hmm. it was kind of the fusion of those trends, the, the science, the technology from my, my educational background, the, uh, particularly the experience in the pharma space uh, through my time at McKinsey uh, that got me interested in the, in the, the, the fusion of those things. Uh, and then the opportunity to come, uh, come work at Vanderbilt came uh, kind of rose uh, organically. I got connected through some some professional connections, and uh, they were thinking at the time about how to uh, how to make better use of, of those resources and tools in uh, in support of translational medicine, uh, particularly on the commercial side. They'd uh, spent a lot of time focusing on the, the academic research enterprise, but the mm -hmm. idea of uh, being able to support commercial research through it. And so it was. Uh, I got introduced uh, right at that point, and really with the task of uh, helping them think through uh, how do they build a build a system or build a business that could uh, support that. I think that is really interesting, and I think I, I want to go a little deeper into what uh, into some of the nuts and bolts there. You referenced the BioView database. Can you can you tell us a little bit more about that and uh, you know where it came from, what it is? Yeah, it's a it's a resource that uh, uh, Vanderbilt had uh, started thinking about in the mid two uh, thousand. So shortly after the Human Genome Project was completed, uh, really a, a very forward thinking group of investigators at the medical center. Uh, got together and started thinking about uh, the power of combining uh, deep clinical information from an electronic medical record with uh, with genetic information uh, that would be uh, derived from the, the same patient population. And so they, uh, so I w obviously wasn't uh, at Vanderbilt at the time and, and thinking about it, I mean, it was pre pre some of the uh, things we take for granted now in terms of things like uh, Facebook and, and data sharing, but this idea of of really creating a back an information backbone uh, from the, the 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 clinical enterprise that would then facilitate research uh, of of all kinds was uh, really the the motivation for it. So it consists of a, a, a de-identified version of the electronic medical record, and that de-identification mm -hmm. really speeds up the the ability to uh, conduct research in a, in a in a rapid fashion. It's fantastic for hypothesis generation and retrospective study and. Uh, taking away the the personal uh, personal information for it really speeds up the the the, the getting those uh, those studies up and going. Uh, layering that together then with uh, with genetic information collected from discarded blood samples, so it's really it's, it's samples that would be otherwise tossed away. Mm -hmm. uh, they do seek out consent from the the patient population, so it's not like the, there's nothing shady happening uh, behind the scenes there. Of course, uh, they spent a long time thinking about the ethics and the how do how do you consent people, how do you inform people what you're doing. But the the response from the community has been overwhelmingly positive in that regard. But fusing those two pieces together, so you have uh, very detailed clinical and very detailed genetic information, and uh, using that to power a, a very wide range of research applications. I don't think they knew everything, even a fraction of what would ultimately come from it, but it's the, the old feel of dream story. If you build it, they will come, and it's uh, it's grown tremendously since uh, that original or that origination in the, the mid-2000s. So it's pretty remarkable to think about you know, a major academic medical center, the number of patients that are coming through there over the last 10 plus years, that's a lot of, that's a lot of medical record data. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's upwards of about 3 million unique patients and it's everything from Vanderbilt was an early adopter of electronic medical records. So we've mm. seen, there's certainly records that go back 30, 40, 50 years of time. People have been in the Vanderbilt system for oh uh, a very long time for them, their, uh, their, their, their patient care. So it's really quite remarkable uh, the longitudinal history that you uh, uh, that's available through that uh, that detail. Are you able to give us kind of a ballpark uh, order of magnitude on the number of genetic profiles that that have been uh, included in the data set? Yeah, it's about it's about ten percent of the overall uh, population that uh, has uh, linked in genetic information. So it's about it's in the two fifty two sixty range, two hundred fifty thousand two hundred sixty thousand range. 
So Fantastic. It's, uh, it's, it's one of the largest, one of the large, especially with that, that detailed medical record, it's certainly one of the largest of, uh, of its kind in the world, uh, just in terms of repositories of those two types of information. That is extremely exciting. And in, in terms of the, the sequencing that was done on those folks, you know, if this was started <laughs> that long ago, are there any kind of holes in the sequencing when we think about the potential of, you know, today's next gen sequencing capabilities or uh, are they, you know, tell us about the kind of uh, genetic data that's actually been captured. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the broadest swath of that, uh, that biobank has been genotyped on, on uh, various SNP arrays, but half of the, half of that population has been genotyped in, in some, uh, some way or form there, mm-hmm. there, it's been consolidated onto a couple, couple different platforms. Uh, so there is a fairly broad uh, survey of that population from a genotypic standpoint. Uh, the decision was made, though, kind of a, a breadth versus depth uh, mm-hmm. trade-off. What I mean by that is they decided to know a little bit about a broad range of population of the population as opposed to uh, sequencing a much smaller population. And so we we can kind of we we will sequence uh, on demand, but uh, in terms of what's what's sitting on the on the shelf ready to go, it is uh, it is genotyping data, and then you can. Uh, tailor or, dry, or drill down into specific populations with uh, with sequencing. Fantastic. As the cost of sequencing continues to fall, uh, I suspect that calculation changes, and where where in the not too distant future that does flip and it becomes more or makes more sense to just sequence everybody. Uh, mm. I think that's certainly the world we're headed to, but we're not quite there yet. Sure, no, totally makes sense. I, I want to talk a little bit, and we're going to dive uh, more deeply into sort of the applications of this data. But I am really curious, just from a business perspective, you know, spending, you know, a year plus in what what amounted to more or less stealth mode uh, must have been a, a difficult thing to do. Can you tell us a little bit about what was going on behind the scenes as you were preparing to, to launch the brand of Nashville Biosciences? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the goal with Nash Bio was ultimately to become a, a channel to open up some of these resources, make them available to commercial R&D activities. Uh, Vanderbilt had done a, a fantastic job on the academic side, and there's a, a large community of researchers, both here at Vanderbilt and, and uh, colleagues elsewhere that make use of it from an academic standpoint. Uh, but that commercial realm was an area that they hadn't uh, hadn't really cracked the code on. And so that was the goal with Nash Bio, was to create a uh, a, a, a a channel or a, a dedicated uh, entity to be able to service commercial R&D activities uh, using the, those data sets. And it, uh, the, the, the stealth mode period we, you, you alluded to, we did go through an extensive planning period uh, as we were launching uh, natural biosciences. Some of it was with respect to just uh, figuring out how the, 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 the processes would work and mm. uh, anybody who's interacted with uh, academic institutions from a commercial standpoint has had the uh, can have have will have had the uh, challenges of just how do we how do you get things like contracts up and running how do you sure. get uh, who who's doing what from a, a a process standpoint who can who can actually touch and manipulate the data and so we in in making Nash Bio uh, uh, an easy uh, making it easy for for partners to come work with us we had to go through, we spent a significant amount of time with our, our colleagues at Vanderbilt just kind of laying the laying down the rules of the road and doing some of that that preparatory work ahead of time so that when somebody comes to work with us now. Uh, we can get going very quickly. It's uh, we're, we're really trying to speed up and make it customer customer friendly. The reduce the transaction cost, I guess, of of working with these resources and these tools. Got it. So it was really going through that process in the the upfront period. It was also, I think, a little bit of learning about just what uh, what would resonate resonate in the market. Uh, how do you how do you talk about this uh, this type of resource and what are some of the applications? And really, that transition from just hey, we have a large database that can help answer questions to 
uh, building up some very specific examples, very specific applications that make it easier for potential customers and partners to to grasp on and see how this could make a difference in their own R&D activities. And that was that wasn't the intention of the stealth mode period, but that was certainly one of the I guess probably one of the happy offshoots of it. We when we did launch the company last year. Uh, we already had a, a list of partners, an extensive list of partners built up and a, and a good mm. uh, good list of offerings and applications that uh, let us hit the ground running. Fantastic. We are going to go deeper after we return from this break. So stick around. We will be right back. Today's show is brought to you by Blue Spire, a full-service digital marketing agency focused on complex and highly regulated industries of healthcare, senior living, and financial services. Rapid changes in the healthcare industry are causing consumers to seek out trusted advice, demand more transparency and access to information and content. With over 30 years of healthcare experience, Blue Spire knows how to help you reach, communicate with, and gain trust from these consumers. We help you engage with the right content at every touchpoint, from the first symptom search to appointment scheduling through care management. Visit us at bluespiremarketing.com to learn how we can help you deliver relevant, engaging content through ever-changing touch points that matter. All right, we are back on DataPoint. Our guest today is Leland Ekstrom, Chief Operating Officer and co-founder of Nashville Biosciences. I'm your host, Greg Matthews. And we, Leland, before we went into the break, we're just talking about the fact that when Nash Bio emerged from that you know, sort of quiet period, uh, you actually were able to hit the ground running. You had uh, some a series of partners already lined up. You had a, some pretty good ideas about uh, some more specific applications for this data. I'd love to be able to talk through some of those applications um, and how you've seen them evolve through the last year and a half. Sure. So the, the I guess the founding idea of, uh, of of Nash Bio, where we we first got started, and when we first met back in 2017, was probably the uh, the focus area we we spoke about with you at that time, was using the the combined uh, clinical and genetic data to really help uh, indication planning and early drug discovery activities. We were making use of a, a particular analytic t- technique called a, a phenome wide association study or a FIWAS uh, analysis, and it was based on some uh, based on some work that our scientific advisors here at Vanderbilt had done, as well as uh, some other colleagues that were applying those techniques to uh, repurpose uh, generic drugs that had long since expired. So, trying to find new uses for for generic drugs, uh, Nash Bio kind of took the the opposite end of that uh, that spectrum and started working with partners in very early stage drug discovery using some of those analytic techniques to map out uh, potential drug indications for particular drug targets, potential side effect risks that uh, that come along with those targets, and really the application was portfolio prioritization. So, somebody would come to us with a, a list of, of drug targets they were they were considering. And we would work through the the analyses to try and uh, generate hypotheses for potential indications they could pursue. It was often they had a, a good sense of uh, a lead indication for a particular compound, but in thinking about how do you maximize uh, the optimal optimal drug asset that comes out of that activity? Are there other indications that could uh, expand? Uh, and so that was kind of iteration one of, of Nash Bio or Vision One. Uh, we still do a large a large amount of work in that space, uh, making use of those techniques, and it gets. Going back to BioView being one of the one of, a unique resource, one of the few resources in the world, you need you need both of those data streams to feed into those types of analyses. There's not a lot of other resources that can support that type of work at the sure. uh, the scale that uh, Vanderbilt's built up. Uh, since we since that time though, and as we went through our 
uh, kind of finding out what else we could do with Nash Bio. That was one of the questions we would often ask our clients is, uh, all right, beyond kind of what we talked to you about, what else what else could you, you think of that uh, would, would be useful to you in the R&D uh, space? And so it's been a, over the past year and a half, probably time frame kind of proliferation of activities that make use of that data. Uh, one area we've uh, we spent a lot of time on uh, recently is focusing on real-world evidence applications of uh, of the data. So I'm taking advantage of just the the, the detailed clinical information that's in that de-identified medical record. Uh, some of the applications we've been pursuing recently are the use of uh, or the, the establishment or creation of uh, synthetic control arms for for trials. So mm-hmm. identifying patient populations in the medical record that would match inclusion exclusion characteristics for a, for an active study and basically understanding what is the standard of care what is that baseline that uh, baseline patient population so we've been doing that with a uh, a couple of different uh, clients it's been more on the value side to this point so helping them set up some of their health economics uh, arguments but uh, FDA over the past six eight months has uh, put out a position paper and has shown some real receptivity to uses of real world data in uh, in registration activities, and so we're kind of watching with excitement and, and curiosity. Not, I don't think any of us quite know yet where it's going to land, but certainly heading in a direction that seems quite uh, quite positive and powerful for the the tools and resources that we've got. You know, Leland, if I get, let me jump in there because I think there's a there are a couple of interesting things, and I think for our listeners who are less familiar with the world of of clinical trials uh, as a part of drug development. Can you talk through just in a little more detail, you know, what does it actually mean to have a synthetic control arm and, you know, are there specific uh, populations or indications uh, that would be particularly beneficial uh, to be able to use a synthetic control arm rather than a live population? Yeah, I mean, the gold standard in, in, in clinical development is certainly a randomized controlled trial where you have a, a case and a control arm, uh, and that control arm is either a placebo or, or, or standard of care where the, the, the case arm or the active arm is the, the, the new therapy or the new drug that's being tested. Uh, certainly, there are populations where it's, it is difficult to construct both of those arms, and it's mm. rare diseases are a good example of that. Uh, terminal conditions, particularly oncology, there's a lot of, uh, uh, can be a lot of challenges uh, you've got patients that maybe have failed several lines of therapy. Uh, the idea of creating a placebo arm or something like that for people who have already been to three or four rounds of chemotherapy and have have months to live. There's there's some there can be some ethical challenges just around uh, creating a, a control arm when you've got a, a new experimental therapy. And so it's in some of those spaces where the idea of using uh, real world data is has particular resonance or particular particular traction just to fill in uh, and uh, reduce or Certainly, I guess probably reduce is probably the best way to think about it. Reduce the number of people that would have to be in a in a control arm because you do have a uh, you can establish a well well understood baseline for uh, for care through the real world data uh, avenue. It's I think that is a tremendously exciting thing, and I know yeah you referenced the fatal disease the you know lots of lots of cancers. It is tough to think about the the ethics of that control arm. So the real world evidence I think is really powerful, and I think you know it can potentially this leads us into another one of our uh, one of one of the applications you talked about the um, in our pre-interview about the ability to do really long-term studies uh, looking over time can you can you uh, walk us through that application a little bit yeah there's there's a couple different uh, flavors of that certainly there's there's a version of it that still sits in the clinical clinical data space only so looking at how particular disease has progressed over time and things like uh, comparative effectiveness types of questions, does uh, the use of a new therapy 
change the pathway and ultimately the the the, the cost or the, the the treatment burden that's accumulated over a period of time and mm. uh, being able to look at years of longitudinal clinical data uh, is, a, is a tremendously powerful resource and being able to do that. Uh, the other flavor that we've explored at Nash Bio is then because we have those uh, those those DNA samples linked to a large number of the records, uh, it's possible to do some very elegant uh, research studies where looking at kind of the intersection of risk fact, long-term risk factors for a particular disease, and then using those long-term risk factors to understand who may or may not ultimately manifest and develop the disease. Uh, we finished a, a project with a large pharma company last year that did exactly that, where they were interested in a particular metabolic condition and uh, looking at kind of 10-year timeframes of risk factor to understand how those uh, how those factors ultimately uh, fed into the uh, who developed the disease and who did not. So the idea of, of watching watching patients for uh, 10 years to see who who is diabetic and uh, and overweight and ultimately would or would not develop the disease. The the logistics of trying to do that in a prospective setting are are, are, are daunting. That following somebody for 10 years just to sequence mm-hmm. their DNA, just to understand if there's particular mutations that are, are are tipping them over to developing the disease or not. That's a, a difficult and expensive study to run. Uh, we have 10 years of longitudinal information about a great number of uh, patients with that that uh, those characteristics. So in a matter of months, we were able to put together. Uh, populations that had the the risk profiles they were looking for, and then ultimately did or did not manifest the disease. And so you can set up some very, very elegant, very powerful genetic studies then of uh, what's what's potentially causing uh, development of that disease, manifestation of those conditions, and then using that to guide drug discovery activities. So it's uh, it's that power of that longi- or stored longitudinal data that speeds up these things and really makes possible studies that would otherwise be not not able yeah, to facilitate. Completely impractical, right? I mean, it, and I know one of the I guess the downsides of the the rigor that we put into our drug development process is that it can take many years um, to compile enough data uh, to to be able to make good decisions and to be able to to uh, uh, narrow that down to a period of a few months is pretty remarkable uh, and I think has pretty far-reaching implications in terms of how the actual development process works. Are you seeing that as well? And what are some of the potential implications of that in terms of, you know, the ability to identify and bring treatments to market more quickly? Yeah, it's when you think about the whole, the, 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 just the standard R&D pipeline, I mean, you're looking at 10 years of time from kind of conception through the various phases of, of, of clinical trial to getting a drug to market. If you then tack on five or 10 years of basic biology before uh, before that, uh, that, uh, that pipeline even gets started, I mean, 15 or 20 years is a... Is an incredibly long period of time to uh, to get one drug uh, one drug to market. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anything that uh, can speed that up uh, can reduce the cost, can improve the probability of success. And the, depending on which of the, the the tools we bring to bear from the Nash Bio Quiver, uh, we can uh, we can take aim at uh, uh, each one of those different factors. And it's it's being able to, to kind of improve on all three of those, or any one of those things, or all three of those things that uh, is really the value proposition we bring to the. Uh, uh, the pharma and diagnostic space, making use of the resources that uh, ultimately helping helping get better treatments to market faster and more uh, more cost effectively is what we're trying to do with Nash Bio. Absolutely, and I I would think, and I, I'm going to paraphrase or attempt to paraphrase you, and you can tell me how good a job I do, but just the fact that you can take you know an existing molecule or a uh, you know a molecule that is a, in development or maybe is is a little bit pre development. And look at its potential for use in other indications. Uh, you know that in itself can be 
I would imagine, enormously powerful in helping a manufacturer or a drug developer to focus on the things that are most likely to have successful outcomes uh, based on what you're seeing in, you know, in some cases over 10 years of real world evidence. I mean, that's really remarkable. Well, and the other piece, the other thought that prompts in my mind, I mean, one of the mainstays of, of, of drug R&D is certainly using uh, animal models and other other techniques to kind of infer how things are going to respond in, in a human population. Mm. Uh, one of the things we are able to do with the, the, the combination of the, of the the genetic information we've got and the, the clinical information is uh, is look at how a potential drug may respond in a human population, which is ultimately the goal. So being able to, we're not going to eliminate uh some of those preclinical activities that take place, but mm. uh, bringing in information from what's what's happening in a in a real world human space and real real world data from the human population moves moves the R and D process closer to the ultimate goal, and I think is another component that uh, can be quite will be quite transformative as uh, as some of these tools become more uh, more mainstream and widely used in R and D. That's really exciting. So. We only have a few minutes left, if you can believe it. This I absolutely love hearing about the incredible things that you're doing. It's really pushing the limits. Um, I'd love to hear your perspective on you know what's to come. Uh, you mentioned that you're eagerly watching the FDA uh, to see you know what kind of input they may provide uh, in terms of the regulatory environment around clinical trials. What are some of the other things that you're looking to in the future? Uh, you know, as potential new applications or, uh, you know, changes in the, the breadth or depth of the data that you're that you're using, uh, you know, potentially applications outside the, the drug development process. I just, any, anything that uh, that occurs to you that feels like uh, something to be optimistic about in the in the future. There's uh, there's a number of different uh, directions we we are thinking about, and I think one of the challenges is, uh, in a in a startup is figuring out which which areas to to prioritize because I, mm. I don't think we can do all of them simultaneously. But uh, certainly thinking about new new data data sources that we can bring in uh, bring into the Nash Bio uh, portfolio. Uh, we are right now drawing heavily from uh, from our parent at, uh, at Vanderbilt Medical Center. Uh, are there ways we can expand the data sets that we've got, uh, pulling in other other health systems, other partners to uh, to add to the the, the uh, populations that we have access to? Uh, certainly, looking at analytic capabilities is another area that we're kind of actively thinking about on the the, the tech side. There's uh, we're all seeing a proliferation of machine learning and artificial intelligence applications, and we're uh, we're excited to see where that goes. Working with a couple AI companies right now uh, who are active in the early drug discovery space and great. Um, what how does that transform what we do and uh, does point, do at some point we go in that direction and start to build up some more advanced capabilities ourselves or do we go in still more of a, a partnership mode but that's that's a very exciting area in, in drug discovery uh, drug development activities and then I think it's just one of the main things we as I said earlier one of the main things we ask all our clients is what else would you do uh, with these data sets and so mm-hmm. some of the activities we talked about only came about asking asking those questions and where else along that R&D pipeline Medical affairs, commercial activity that uh, that uh, some of our clients are engaged in. Where else can we bring to bear some of these tools and resources? So it's what else, what other offerings can we can we provide? It's fantastic, and it sounds like the organizations that you're working with are probably going to bring some pretty interesting ideas to the table. Uh, these are companies that are pretty big, have a lot of smart people that are focused on on this work. I, I got to believe that uh, those partners will be continue to be a, a source of great input in terms of uh, future directions. Indeed, we work with some of the uh, some of the smartest folks in the industry in that regard. Fantastic. Well, 
Leland, I am really grateful to you for spending the time with us today, uh, sharing your insights. I think the work that you're doing in Nash Bio is really fascinating. Um, for people, for listeners that are interested in finding out more, I will include a series of links uh, in the show notes here. Uh, but I can tell you right now, the, the website is nashville.bio. Uh, so pretty easy to find and remember. Um, Leland, thanks again for being here uh, and best of luck uh, in the future. I think the work you're doing is just uh, tremendously exciting. Thanks, Greg. Thanks for having me. This was uh, a lot of fun. Thanks so much for listening to the Data Point podcast. If you like what you've heard, please do rate, review, and share it with your social network. It means a lot. And if you have ideas for show topics or guests, please email them to me at greg at healthquant.health or send a direct message to at Chai Moose on Twitter. That's C-H-I-M-O-O-S-E on Twitter. For more information about this show or any of the terrific healthcare podcasts in the Touchpoint Media Network, check them out at touchpoint.health. See you next time. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.